love you, Lord. We magnify you. Worship your great name, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm thankful to know your name this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Good presence of the Lord in the house this morning. Thank you, musicians, and thank you, Brother Fields, for that blessing this morning. Amen. I really love that hymnal. Perhaps one of my top five hymnals. I love that song. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, would stand together. Very brief reading of the Word of God. I want to turn to the book of Exodus and read from verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4 of that book. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And as you're turning there, just want to thank everyone of this local assembly. Such a great church, the best church, and my pastor for this opportunity to speak in his stead. Amen. Very honored to be behind this sacred desk. Verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? The Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? So today from that second verse, the words of the Lord, I want to draw a title, What is in your hand? Let's ask the Lord to help us some more. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the power that is in this house. And I pray, Lord, that it would permeate through every mind and heart. Lord, that it would liberate us and give us faith and confidence in our master and in who you are and what you're willing to do through us if we yield unto you. God, I'm thankful this morning to be a small part of your great kingdom. Bless this service in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, I do realize that we have been having some amazing services of revival with Brother Hopkins, and um, incredible. I was with the Garretts from Ukaipa over the weekend because of a Bible quizzing tournament, and uh, they knew we had Brother Hopkins, and they said, 10 minutes, that's the longest he preached, isn't it? I said, well, yeah, around there or a little bit longer. And uh, so I'm saying that because now I know that um, we're getting back into the groove of things, and I don't want to disappoint anybody with a lengthy message. So the pressure that is on my, my shoulders this morning is not only that of the anointing to deliver, but of the time frame that we've been so used to in the month of March. So I will try and be mindful of that. I'm very thankful for what God is doing in our midst and what he's done to that revival and the repercussions from that. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 4 begins with a complaint from a renowned man of God. God calls him a humble servant. And Moses indeed was a humble servant. You read Exodus chapter 4 and you really find a part of Moses that is hard to believe. He's, he's this man that God has spoken to. In a miraculous way, through a burning bush, he calls Moses on the backside of a desert. He's a man who's audibly talking with the voice of the Lord. And he, he, he knows that God is powerful. And he has a testimony of a miraculous deliverance. How God uh, 
saved him from a river and how he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And, and so we find in chapter 4 him complaining that the people will not hear him. And I want to go and read, and I'll be reading some scripture this morning in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord is speaking unto Moses of the book of Exodus. And he says, And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice. And thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel and the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of, of, of the Hebrew hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And the, the beginning of verse 18, the Lord is saying, And they shall hearken to your voice, Moses. You go do what I told you to do. They're going to listen to you. This is the promise that God is giving unto his faithful, humble servant, Moses. And then we pick up in verse 4, and Moses complains, they're not going to hearken unto my voice. They will not say, the Lord, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. They will say, the Lord didn't appear unto you, Moses. And, and God changes the subject, it seems, and he says, Moses, what is it that you're holding in your hand? And what Moses was holding was something that he had used for 40 years in shepherding. He, he had a shepherd's rod. He had a staff. And his answer, his reply to God Almighty was, well, what I have is just this stick, this rod. This is what I've had for 40 years. Why is this so important? And the Lord said, cast it on the ground in verse 3. And so Moses did that. And when that happened, his staff became a serpent. And Moses was fearful and he fled from his own Rod And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. And it goes on, you can read this beautiful story unfold. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And it furthermore says that the Lord said, put now thine hand to thy bosom. And he shows he shows Moses his great power. And so Moses puts his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, it was leprous, as white as snow, verse 6 exclaims. And he said, put back your hand into your bosom. And when he did that and plucked it out of his bosom, behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Verse 8, and it shall come to pass that they will not believe thee, neither hearken to thy voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. God is affirming Moses. He's trying to prove to him, look Moses, I am with you. I will always be with you. They will believe you because of me. If you just yield yourself and hear what I'm trying to say. Verse 9, it shall come to pass that they will not believe also these two signs neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood 
upon the dry land. So God is telling Moses. He's showing Moses. He's giving examples to him. He's saying, look, Moses, all you need to do is just simply be obedient unto me. Follow my direction. I'll do the rest. And we find Moses in verse 10, who says unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. He starts to complain more and look at his own physical abilities. And he makes this statement. And I read in the scripture that that is not a true statement. Moses' evaluation of his own self. It's a false statement because you can read in Acts chapter 7 in verse number 21. It says, and when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. If anybody was eloquent in speech of his day, of all the Israelites, it was Moses. If anyone could talk well, it was Moses. He was taught with the best education of his time. He was taught by the best teachers of his time. The best education that could be afforded Moses. He had it. And he was a well-learned student. And he was wise. But he begins to complain. Maybe he was fearful. And we know that he was. He knew the task that was set before him. But God wasn't interested in any of his abilities. He just wanted to know, are you willing? What is the little bit that you have? He has a rod in his hand. Let me tell you, sometimes you can look at people and you can compare them to other people and you can say, why is God using that person? Why is, why is that person so chosen and so favored? I can tell you it's not because of their abilities. It's not because they have wonderful talents necessarily, but it's because they're willing to let go of what God has put in their hand and give it unto God. And God can take that and bless it and use it to deliver a mighty people out of bondage. And I'm telling somebody in the house of God today, here is my question to you. What do you have in your hand? What is it that you can offer God? It doesn't have to be something fancy or something supernatural. It could just be something like an old shepherd's staff. And I'm not talking about just physical things. And this is something in the Old Testament that we can draw as an analogy to our our lives today, but all you need to, to do today is be willing to be used in the kingdom of God. You want revival at GBFPC? What do you have in your hand? What do you, what do you want to do for God? Just become available and let God use you in all his might and his power. Let's put our hands together and worship him this morning if you believe that word. We can read that because of these complaints in Exodus chapter 4, that the Lord becomes very wroth, very upset with Moses. And he says unto him in verse 11, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf of the seen or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And we find Moses still complaining. And so eventually God allows Aaron to speak for him. 
And early on, when I was younger reading this, I thought, well, wow, you know, Aaron, Aaron stepped up to the plate. But Aaron did cause a lot of problems in Moses' ministry. You will remember that when Moses went up to the mount to meet with the Lord and to get the Ten Commandments, and he was up there for some time, that the people who had just walked through the Red Sea, who had just saw all of Pharaoh's army destroyed, who had seen the miraculous power of God demonstrated before their eyes, says, where's Moses? He isn't coming back. Aaron, you got to do something. Here, do something for us. And so Aaron's like, well, give me all your gold earrings. Give me all of your jewelry. We'll just make a God for ourselves. Aaron interrupted the move of God many times. Him and Miriam mocked Moses, and God had to chastise them. And so really, this could be accounted to Moses really fully not letting God speak through him. There is such an anointing, there is such a power of God that rests upon every one of us. And what unlocks that potential of the power of God Working through you is your willingness to give it to God. What is in your hands? We know that tools are 90% of the job. Brains only equal 10%, they say. I learned that when I worked in the oil fields. Had to have my tool belt, had to have all of the equipment. They didn't care how smart I was. They wanted to make sure I was ready to do the work. Because they could tell me what to do. They could tell me to drive a nail, dig a hole. I had to have a shovel, I had to have a pocket tape. So as long as I was ready and willing, I could be told what to do. And the job would get done. And I would get a paycheck. And in the house of the Lord, it's not that much different. God is just looking for someone who's willing to show up ready and available. Someone that's willing to work. Someone that's willing to trust in the Lord. God's going to give you direction. God's going to be on your side. God's going to secure you. He's going to develop you. But my question to you is, are you willing to believe that what God's going to do, He can do through you? If you look at yourself, you're going to doubt because you know who you are. You know your frailties. You know your insecurities. And you know your shortcomings. But when you turn your eyes upon the Master and you see what He can do and you put your faith and your trust and your reliance on His abilities, then there's going to be a great deliverance from the land of Egypt. And then all of those armies of Israel can't even touch you. They're going to drown in the Red Sea. And the enemy who thought he was going to pursue you and take you captive again is going to find themselves in turmoil because you listened to the voice of the Lord. What are we here for today, this morning? We're here to encourage somebody, look, God is on your side, my friend. God sees the trouble that you're in. God knows the evil that is round about you, but you just keep doing what you're doing, and God will bless you. Hallelujah. It it won't come on your timing, but it will come on the perfect timing of the Lord. Amen. Amen. It's, it's, It's really important on what we invest in. I was, uh, at a Bible quizzing tournament this weekend, and, uh, those who know my daughter, uh, she's not a very, uh, well, she can be, um, but for the most part in front of people, she's not very loud or, or um, likes to speak up. She's kind of shy, so she's quizzed for three years. She's quizzed for three years, and um, I don't know, the Condren's could probably answer this, Colby and Sabrina. She's probably hit like a total at the board, live questions at a quiz, maybe three questions through those two years her first two years of quizzing, and she knew all of her material. 
She knows all of her material. She could quote it very well. And I would try and encourage her. I would try to tell her, Monroe, you have got to help your teammate. You are a contributor. And if you're not answering, you're just dead weight. You have all this knowledge. You need to hit, answer questions. It's okay if you mess up. It's okay if you miss. You just got to try. Use the knowledge you have. And so this year was very interesting and challenging for me. Brother Mercer, Jeff Mercer, calls me the Monday before the first tournament, which was on that Friday. And he says, Brother Brock, uh, are you still going to be a quiz master? <laughs> and I kind of laugh because you got to know Brother Mercer. And I said, well, yeah, I was waiting for you to call me. He said, well, there needs to be a change between you and I. He said, uh, I want you to be the beginner's quiz master. Now, I am not opposed to the beginners. I love the beginner quizzers and to see them quote a verse. Let me tell you, if you want to be humbled, adults, you watch these little kids, five, six, seven-year-olds, quote verses that you've never probably even read or remember reading. And it humbles you. And, and so I'm all for the beginner quizzers. But because I'm such a disciplinarian in Bible quizzing and only have known the uh, intermediate and advanced divisions and all the rules, and I'm, I adhere to the rules and every little thing that, that they do wrong, I'm going to hold it against you because... That's Bible quizzing. It's a, tech, a sport of technicality. It's not a sport, but it's a, it's a game of tech, technicality. And so I was wrestling with that. And so the other thing I was wrestling with is intimidating my own daughter and reading to her, her dad being her quiz master. And, and I didn't want to affect her negatively. But I told myself, I'll do it, and I'll try my best, and I will this will be an opportunity for me to see my own daughter quiz. And I'm talking about investing over time. And, and uh, it was amazing. We had our first tournament here in Bakersfield, the beginner's quiz in the Libby Center. And she quizzed so fantastic, it blew my mind. There were a couple times I had to choke back tears because watching your daughter quote a verse and then quizzing out three times. I mean, I'm having a dad moment at, at, the, at the quiz master's table and I got to keep everything collected. And, and so I thought about today's lesson and, and, and investing and, and just putting your trust in something. And, and I'm telling you, faithfulness matters. Being faithful to the house of God matters. Being faithful to prayer matters. Doing what is right all the time matters, saints of God. One day, because of your faithfulness, God is going to remember you and what you're going through, and He is going to make sure that everything you need will be supplied if you are just willing to be faithful and let God use you, talk through you, amen, minister through you. This is Moses. And all throughout the Bible, we find these little nuggets of letting God use just the simple things you have. In Ecclesiastes, verses 10 and 12 of chapter 9, it says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare. So are the sons of men snared in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly upon them. 
We are to do everything that we are doing with all your might. That's why they say, when you're working, find a job that you enjoy. Otherwise, you're going to be miserable. But if you find a job that you enjoy, you're going to do it with passion. You're going to perform with integrity. You're going to do it with all your might. Living for God, we should do it with all our might. Are there going to be times that we slip and fall and make the wrong decision? Of course, because we're made of this carnal flesh and we are not God. We need God. Thank God we're not God, but we do need Him. And that's why we stay faithful. We remain faithful. and We keep coming to the house of God and making sure that we're correcting ourselves so God can work in our lives. We don't serve Him because, because everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be peachy and rosy. We serve him because he can carry us through those times when it's not perfect, when it's not peachy, and when it's not rosy. Have any of you ever come through a difficult time and it was because of the Lord? Hallelujah. That's why I serve him. I serve him because he is Lord of my life and I do need him. And without him, I'm going to fail. Without him, I'm going to be miserable. I may be going through something miserable, but if I didn't have the Lord on my side, it would be much, much worse. I'd rather just give him what I have in my hand and let him bless that and let him work his perfect will. God has a bigger plan for you. God has a bigger plan for his kingdom. Amen. Moses, just give God what he asks you and he will bless you. I like the saying that, you know, they say we're Americans and the last four letters of American is I can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. In church, we're here to encourage one another. You should tell your brother and your sister, yes, you can. You can make it. You can overcome. You can defeat the wicked one. And God can. And God will. If you're faithful, if you do what he says. Amen. God is just looking for whatever you have. Amen. I love the parable in John chapter 6 and the other gospels about Jesus when he was on the Sea of Galilee and and he's on the Sea of Tiberias, in, uh, or, or next to Tiberias, on the Sea of Galilee, which is a beautiful uh, uh, sea, Sea of Galilee. It's not as big as you might think in terms of a sea. Uh, it's kind of like Lake Tahoe, maybe, if I could relate it that way. It's a, it's a, a really cool setting, and, and, and being on that sea is just, there's something, there's something spiritual about it, being there myself. You can kind of visualize Jesus on one of those boats speaking to the multitude as they're on the mountainside. And a great multitude followed Jesus because they saw his miracles, which he did, and all the diseases that uh, he healed. And the Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 3, that Jesus went up into a mountain. There he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, uh, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes... He saw a great company come unto him, and he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for this multitude, that every one of them may take even but a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men to sit down. 
Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain. And they gathered them together, and they filled up twelve baskets of the fragments and of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And so, studying this text through, this this passage says 5,000 men. Just the men alone, there were 5,000 in number. This does not include the women and the children. And so Jesus performs one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. And he wants his disciples, hey, can you go to the store and buy some bread for these 5,000 plus people? And he said it. He knew what the response was going to be. And, and they said, we don't have enough money to buy all that bread. And, and, but we do have this, this young lad here. And he has two fishes and, and five barley loaves. And Jesus just needs the little you have. Jesus isn't looking for you to perform the miracle, my friend. He isn't looking for some rabbit for yourself to pull out of your own hat. All he is looking for is something that is willing, somebody who is ready, somebody who has faith like a child to say, God, I don't have much, but you're here. I don't need much. What a true miracle that the Lord performed that day from not only just a little food, but from a little lad who was willing to give up his sack lunch so God could do something great in the midst of not, all, of not only all these people, but in front of those that followed him and believed him the most. You know why? It's important. You look at the disciples. They were always like, God, how are you going to do that? God, what do you mean who touched you? God, how is this going to happen? God, how is this going to work? They were with him all the time. They saw all the many miracles he did. And the Bible even records that many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. But these are written that you might believe. And so they saw the glory of God. They saw him work miracles. They saw all the fascinating things that, that I has never seen. And often he had to keep reminding them, uh, uh, you know, do you not remember? Do you not remember the 5,000? He tells them that in the later scripture. Do you not remember when I fed those, those, those people on the Sea of Galilee by Tiberias with just five loaves and two fishes? They were there walking with the master. That's why we have church today because we as the God-called anointed people of the Lord, we see him work all the time. But let me tell you, we need the house of God. We need to be reminded that God still can do great things. And he still can. He's not through. He is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living and is the only one true, wise, living God. He is able and he is capable and he is not finished. Hallelujah. You need to say that to yourself. God is not finished with me. Amen. I'm looking forward to more miracles and more things that God is going to do in our midst. Amen. Amen. Somebody say amen. All throughout scripture, I'm reminded of the widow. The widow that so impressed the Lord by the treasury. All these people are casting into the treasury everything that they have of their riches, of their abundance. The Bible says they're just throwing money into the treasury. And here comes a certain poor widow. And all she had in her hand was two mites that wouldn't even make a farthing, the Bible says. 
two mites to her name. And she creeps over. No one pays attention to her. She's a poor widow. She's lost her husband, the very source of her income. There's not much she can give. She, she's in the way, but she still goes over to the treasury. And she casts in her two mites. And the master sees this. And this is like the only person in the world he notices at the treasury. And he's so excited that he tells his own disciples, Ha, you see the poor widow? And they're probably like, what are you talking about? Uh, why, am I, why would I notice the poor widow? Because she gave all that she had. She cast in more than everybody today in the treasury. She gave her too much. She gave her all. This poor widow had something in her hand, and she gave it. And the Lord noticed it and used it as a testimony for us today that all he's looking is what you, for is what you have in your hand. All that you have, if you just learn to give it over unto the one that really is in control, there's going to be true blessing. There's going to be true miracles. I really believe sometimes, and I don't know, I'm not God. I can't, I can't uh, say or speak on the behalf of God only that which is recorded in his word, can I testify of. But maybe sometimes I think that sometimes people don't really receive the Holy Ghost is because God knows their heart. It's a free gift. It's given to every person. But maybe there's something they're not willing to hand over. They're doubting themselves. Or maybe there's just something they're not giving to God and they know it in their heart that if they just give all that they have, that God will give them all that he has, the most wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I'm thankful today that God still gives the Holy Ghost. I'm so fortunate to have it. I want to keep it. I want to go to heaven and see he who lives and resides in my spirit. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost and I'm thankful for apostolic truth. We still preach Acts 2.38 because it's the realest thing in this world. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach it till I die. I'm going to teach it to my children. Amen. 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 There are many stories in the Bible like the one of David. David was a confident young man. Probably one of the most significant things that stick out to me about David is his confidence. And he was confident in the Lord. And it's, it's encouraged to always read the book of Psalms. I think not all of them are written by David. I want to say 71 of the Psalms are written by David himself. But David knew what it was to pray. David knew what it was to give everything he had to God. Even his anger, even his depression, and even his sorrow. You read Psalms, and there are Psalms of lamenting, where he's just crying. There are Psalms where he's complaining, but he's giving it to God. He knows that God is in control. And in many of these Psalms, he writes, he gives glory to God still, even if he's in turmoil, and even if he's saddened, or even if... He's repenting as he was in Psalms 51 over the, over the most heinous sin of all, killing a man for his own sin, the death of Uriah. He still gives obeisance. He still gives honor to God. David was a man of confidence. He knew the Lord was his deliverer. And that's why when his father sent him on a journey to go see how his brethren fared against the Philistine army, David goes with some cheese and some bread on a mission. 
leaves the shepherd's field to go do what daddy wants him to do. And he finds this giant bellowing out in a field to the people of God. And David, confident in the Lord. He didn't have to have great position to be confident in God. He just knew who his God was. He understood the stories of old of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He knew who God was. He was a man after God's own heart. He understood and loved his king of kings. And so when he comes onto this battlefield and he sees the enemies of God defying the armies of the Lord, immediately something rises up in his spirit and he wants to do something about it. He doesn't look for an excuse. He doesn't flee. He doesn't get afraid. But he wants to take care of the situation now. He's not going to go back home and be comfortable knowing that there's a giant named Goliath over in the land testing the armies of Israel. This is not David. He's got to handle the situation pronto. Amen. I like that about David. I think we should have that same kind of tenacity and spirit. That we need to take care of it now. What can I do to stop the problem now? It's got to stop now. And so David knew how to call on the Lord. And, and so he was ready to take on Goliath. One of the most exciting places we got to visit in Israel was this valley where David and Goliath met. And they, they let us go upon the Philistine Mount and where they have excavated and found um, the barracks and everything of the Philistines in that day. And it's a small valley. Um, I know that in our Sunday school minds, especially as little kids, we picture this, these huge armies, this, this great vast land, and, and, and you, you have this picture set in your mind. But, but when you go there, you can see very easily it's a small valley, and there's two mountains on either side that you can very easily shout from one side to the other and hear. And uh, you could see very well, and there's a brook. The brook uh, Kindred, I believe, that flows uh, down at the bottom. And uh, it was dry at the time that we went. And so uh, I asked Sister King, I said, wow, it would be really cool because we're on the tour bus and they have a schedule. And I said, wow, it would be really cool if we could go down to the brook and pick up five smooth stones. I mean, I've heard you guys have done that before. And, and thankfully, Sister King, and, and she's, a, she's a wonderful tour guide, her and her husband, they talked to our driver and we were able to stop for a few moments off the highway, and I have pictures in a, of us going down to the brook Kidron, and I've, I picked up several stones from that brook, and this is one of them. And, and, and what's interesting is, you know, you think five smooth stones, they are very smooth um, to the touch. They're very, very smooth. And um, uh, I can imagine David going down and just picking up five smooth stones. All he had in his hand was a slingshot. All he had in his hand was a slingshot. He didn't look on the size of the giant. We know this story, right? He didn't, he didn't get intimidated by him bellowing that he would feed him to the fowls of the air. He wasn't worried about any of the taunting that this massive beast of a man was yelling at him. He just knew that he had a God that was bigger than anything that anyone could ever imagine. And he knew that, yeah, I'm going to have to do a little work here, but he wasn't intimidated. He had something in his hand, and he was willing to let God use him. And so he picked up five smooth stones, and there's so many theories of why he did that. 
my honest opinion is he just wanted to be ready. He knew who he was. He just wanted to be ready. He picked out some extra stones. What was fascinating is he stopped at five because he knew within five, in my own thinking, that he would have gotten this giant down. Put that one smooth stone in his sling and hurled it towards the forehead of a mocking giant. And God delivered Israel that day. And because of that one victory, David was heralded amongst the people of Israel as a person who slayed his ten thousands over the king who only slew a thousand because he was willing to let God use him in the time of adversity. Hallelujah. You may be going through struggles. Musicians, you can come this morning. I am completing my lesson this morning, but I just want to give faith to the hearer this morning that you can, you can have victory in your life today. You can overcome. It's not cliche. It's the Word of God. The Bible says to have faith like that of a child. Simple faith. We have to have all kinds of of signs and wonders like Gideon in order for us to believe that God is going to work on our behalf. But he said, no, I just, I just want to know what do you have to give me this morning? What is it that you're holding on to that you're not willing to let me use? God is wanting somebody who is willing and ready to be used by him. Is it a slingshot? Or is it two mites? Or is it a shepherd? Staff. God loves imperfection. He loves to work on our behalf. He says, my little children, these things write I unto you in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And he is the propitiation or the anointing sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's not worried if you have sin in your life per se. Yes, we need to get rid of the sin problem. But he's saying, look, I, I died for your sin. If sin is your problem this morning, I can fix that. I became the anointed sacrifice and the propitiation for your sin. What I want is a willing vessel. What I want is to be your advocate. What I want is in your hand. Are you willing to give me that? Romans 5 verses 2 through 6. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us for when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly I'm going through tribulation I have doubts I have fears I'm, I have problems well maybe the Lord I don't know. I'm not your psychologist today. I'm just a preacher giving what God gave me this morning. But could it be that God is working some patience in your life? Could it be that God is trying to arrest your attention? And say, look, you can't do this on your own. You need me. 
I need you. Give me. Give me what you have. If we could only see through the lens of the master this morning, if we could only understand his patience and his grace and his love that he has for us, get our eyes off position and problems and realize that the Lord is wanting so very badly so immensely for us to trust in Him they say everybody has some great trial they're going through some great problem some difficulty some situation the Lord is trying to get our attention and let us know I'm here for you. I'm your propitiation. Today, that's the message in the house of God as we stand together for the last few moments of this service. I think it'd be okay if we came up to the front and we just talk to God and make a commitment this Sunday morning and just say, God, I, I trust in you completely and fully. I don't have all the answers and I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know you and I know that you're willing and I know that you can. So this morning, I'm committing to you, and I'm giving you that which is in my hand. It may not be much. It may be just a stone, a slingshot. It may just be two mites. It may just be, it just, it just, it just may be nothing, a shepherd's rod. But I'm giving that to you this morning. So this morning, the altar call is this. Let's commit, God, I'm giving you everything, 100%, all that I am. Let's pray as they sing together. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Hallelujah. Just for a few moments. Hallelujah. We love you, God. We magnify you. Everything I have, God. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, my life is in Hallelujah. I give it to you, Lord. I give it to you. Lord, I'm Lord. Oh, do you feel the Holy Ghost?